Bold City Longsword presents the Swords and Stereo Podcast. Welcome to Swords and Stereo. I'm Matthew Stinson. I'm Johan Lopez. And we have a guest today. Could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Puck Curtis, and I am a fencing master who's certified in the San Jose Fencing Masters program. Awesome. So, uh, we're I brought you on today to talk about Destreza. I am I saying that right? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, cool. My Kentucky gets thick sometimes. If, if someone's new to HEMA and they they're picking up a rapier for the first time, why is Destreza better than everyone else? Oh, well, it's because we're the most awesome. Um, the Destreza, there are really two schools of it, but Destreza is a, a broader term, which means skill. And the Spanish are going to use that to talk about two different schools of fencing in Spain. One of those is the common school of fencing, uh, which uh, anybody would do. And then the other one is called La Verdadera Destreza, and that is called the true school, literally just translated as a true skill. And we, we run into this because... Uh, There was this uh, famous Spanish knight who was sort of the Captain America of Spain at that time, and he was this legendary figure that everybody seemed to love. And um, he is one of the great reformers of fencing. So he looked at this common school fencing, and he thought it was getting people killed. He thought it was based on bad science. And so he starts to reconstruct fencing from the ground up based on things that he could prove. Awesome. So at at your School. Where's your school located? We're located in Sacramento. So we are a Sacramento Sword School, and I run that with my friend and colleague, Eric Myers, who is also a fencing master. Is your curriculum based 100% off your distress of studies? Or yeah, you... yeah. So we, um, what we do, uh, my wife is a PhD research scholar with a degree in gold, uh, a focus on Golden Age Spanish literature. So with her work researching and translating the texts, uh, Eric and I work to sort of penetrate the theory uh, and bring it into practice. The other thing that we bring to that is because Eric and I trained in fencing pedagogy as fencing masters, then we take the method of teaching uh, and apply that to the old tradition. While you were going through your master's study, were you already studying the Destreza, or is that something that come later in your career? No, absolutely. I, I was studying the tradition. I've been working on that since the, the 90s, the late 1990s. Uh, just continuously getting better. So, gosh, if you're out there studying a historical tradition, the thing I would say is the measure of what you're doing is how well you bounce off being wrong. And if you can bounce, if you can be wrong and bounce off in a positive direction, uh, that's that's your ideal because you're going to be wrong over and over. If someone is studying another, like say an Italian source, what would the biggest differences be if they try to switch over? The way that we do timing theory is really different. So um, we're most like the Italian side sword tradition. And that tends to go in this sort of sequence where you assume a guard, you execute a movement, and you terminate a new guard. And that forms the way that the side sword traditions notate their movement and time. And what we do is um, we start to slice time into pieces. We use a movement system, while the Italians use a tempo system. Uh, We count movements. We can take a fencing action like a beat and uh, thrust, and we will decompose it into pieces, and then we can counter each piece. Really different tempo theory, really rich tempo theory. Um, If you see yourself fencing, 
you won't see the tempo theory, but the things that you'll see that are different is that we move in a more upright way. So we look more like boxers and we'll tend to be dynamic uh, with floating footwork, which is what most people know. And then they notice that we usually, we often fence with an extended arm. If you see somebody who is just starting at Destreza, you might see them out there kind of walking around like Frankenstein with an arm extended. Ah, ah. <laughs> and this is really not what we want. We want that sort of supple, responsive, dynamic, flowing body. Um, and that arm should be moving and testing and, and trying to take the weapon or threatening the adversary. So really, it's a, think about like Muhammad Ali, right? Uh, a float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. That, that's sort of an ideal place. Do some drills with Master Kevin, and it was very circular. Mm -hmm. The idea of in those drills, you, mm -hmm. but you did talk about your pie wedge a lot. Could you yeah. could you kind of explain what that is? Classical Italian fencing tends to run on these straight rails, so they'll they'll draw out a, a long rectangular lane, and the fencers are going to stay in there. And what we're going to try to do. Uh, we look a little bit more like border collies, herding sheep, right? So we're going to come off the side and pinch the corner. And these are ways that we create tension or threat in the fight. And so when we're moving off lines, off the lines, uh, the sword is in the way if you're coming straight at the adversary. Wouldn't it be cooler if instead of walking through a sword, we could just turn a little bit and get access to all the squishy bits on your inside, like your belly? Or maybe we step behind the sword where things are really awkward for you and hit you in the back. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to come off the line and sort of jump in on these pie wedges of a circle, which will let you um, expose threat that you couldn't see before. And it, it causes defensive responses in the adversary. When you think about that pie wedge, what, what type of pie do you think it is? Pumpkin. Pumpkin. That's Pumpkin. amazing. Oh, yeah. Just fencing covered in whipped cream. Hmm. Um, well, one thing I'm curious about while we're on the topic of footwork, at least in HEMA, Commonly, uh, Destreza seems to be an answer that is picked by people that either feel like they can't lunge or don't want to lunge. Is is this founded in misconception? Like this idea that it's somehow easier um, or less taxing? Maybe maybe we should talk a little bit a, a little bit about early American Destreza. Um, as we as researchers, we, we're going sort of through these periods of growth. And early in America, early American Destreza, you look at the pictures in the book. And they're really quite static. And it looks like a dude standing upright with his arms sticking out. And so you get this really sort of stilted walking thing. And if you have issues with your joints, you know, I absolutely respect that. And so uh, sometimes people will look at that picture or look at the way that this res was practiced in the United States in the early 2000s and think, well, I, I, you know, I don't need to bend my knees. I, uh, explosivity isn't necessarily a thing because I'm so cool and collected that I, I, can, I can just win. That's not really true. Um, Destreza is very explosive, right? It has to be because we are res we're responding to violent threat, but we're explosive in different ways. Um, so the process of getting down into an Italian garden, sinking into that posture can be brutal. And fabrics can be brutal too, as you bend over and mm -hmm. raise and mm -hmm. just hang out there. Um, but we're, we're, gonna, we're also gonna tax your body in different ways. We're gonna be athletic. You have to be. Mm -hmm. So I, I can understand the idea that maybe you can uh, do something to protect your knees, but uh, really we, we're going to be athletic. Uh, so yeah, we're moving upright. We're moving like boxers. We're not going to be down in the crouch. You're still going to sweat and you're still going to push and you're still going to be explosive. So your your drills that I saw this weekend, they seemed very playful and jovial. Do you think that your style leads, lends to that or is that just your personal teaching method? 
this that's pretty much me. So the Destreza is a jargon heavy um, tradition. It's it's simple things described with a lot of technical language, and that is a barrier. So the more that I've taught uh, the tradition, the more that I, you know, what I do is I, I try something and it fails, and I go back to the drawing board and I try it again. So what you're really seeing is me trying to explain complex things. Um, and I've failed so many times, I've sort of stumbled into the right way. So keeping people relaxed, um, trying to make sure that we're all having a good time and have, experiencing some joy as we do this thing, uh, these are the things that I've found that help people uh, get through those barriers. Someone new to rapier, and they, um, they go on the internet and they just look up some basic footwork drills. Would you, would you say your style doesn't blend to those footwork drills? Should they be doing... Uh, drills based on your style alone or is uh like uh, if i pick up a sport fencing footwork drill will that carry over i will say that if you approach any kind of training in a serious way it's going to help you in at some level but the the mechanical nature the mechanics of sport fencing footwork are going to be pretty different you'll be better going to a boxing coach in my opinion um the the reason for that is when you are down in a fencing stance, your center of gravity drops. And those bent legs form coiled springs, but they also form really excellent brakes. So as you move forward really quickly and you need to stop, those coiled legs are going to absorb all that energy and, and let you stop quickly. But when you're standing upright, um, if you think about a model of the human body, what you really are is a ball on top of a stick. And if you took that ball on top of a stick, or if you hold a spoon, uh, by the handle in your fingers and move it quickly in one direction and then stop, that spoon is going to fall over. And that's what's going to happen to you when you're upright and you try to stop. You're going to tumble over. And trust me, I've done it. I've done it teaching a seminar. I just went ass over teacup, excuse my French, <laughs> and, and landed on the ground. Um, so when you move, you have to learn how to brake at high speed and change direction. And we do that in distress of by leaning into the change of direction in the same way that a motorcyclist would lean when they're turning a corner. And that is how we change directions really quickly, is these leaning actions into the, into the change. I was wondering if you could talk about the concept of like the, the circling and the Goldilocks zone and the peeling the opponent's defense away, just so people can kind of wrap their head around it while they're, yeah. while they're drilling. Well, it depends on how deep we want to go, because this is a rabbit hole. Um, one way to think about Destreza is to think about it as weaponized Aristotle. And Aristotle is this guy who's got this concept of virtue right, between two extremes. So but the, between an extreme of uh, apathy and obsession, so I, care no, I care for nothing and I care too much, there's this virtue of, of uh, friendship or focus or interest. And it's somewhere between these two extremes. And if you want to create something which is a virtue, you have to mindfully pick in that spot. So in Spanish, we call this a medio, this medio concept of virtue. Um, and it's called the medio of proportion. For the Greeks, uh, when something hits proportion, it, it achieves beauty. So what does this medio mean to us in the Spanish tradition? It sets up with how we, we want to form distance. In Italian fencing, the fundamental principle of fencing is to strike without being struck. In Spanish fencing, we take that phrase and we alter it just slightly. The fundamental principle is to defend and strike while defended. So medio concept, uh, 
as I start to approach my adversary, what I need to be able to do is I need to be able to effectively defend. This is one of my goals. And then the other thing I need to do is I need to begin to form offense. So between these two goals, these two competing things, what I have to do is choose mindfully this place in the fight, maybe this distance or this context. It's sort of a holistic situation, like situational awareness combined. And we find this medio, this defending medio. As I start to move forward and deliver an attack, now what I want to do is create a wound that wounds while I'm defended. And this is our other medio, which is the offending medio. So we have a defensive medio where we form and start to find our offense and the offending media where we've wounded and we've wounded while defended. When you do these well, you create beauty and you can see it in fencing. So if you ever watched a fencing bout and someone pulls something off and you go, oh my God, that is so beautiful. What you've seen is an artist who chooses media perfectly and we all respond to it. You, you see a lot of that in your fight with Robert Rutherford. Uh, Rutherford. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're a Meyer Club, and I think we've watched that fight. Both those fights, like, a hundred times. Was this for his prize? For his yeah. prize, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was gonna, uh, I was actually going to ask you, like, how does that happen? Like, did they call you and ask you to come out? And yeah. Is, what's that phone call like? After I got my fencing master's exam, when I got through it, uh, I was now, like, a, responsible for this tradition. Mm -hmm. right? And so the, the other fencing masters, they, they let me know, look, look, if we don't do this, if we don't continue this, the tradition will die. Um, so um, they sit me down. They educate me on how to examine other masters. So I sat on a board for a while as if I was grading. And then once they felt like I was good enough, I became an examining master, uh, which is what I do now. And once I sort of hit that place, there's a need in the historical uh, European martial arts movement um, for people, for an understanding of what does it mean to examine somebody and help them move from that student role into that instructor role. Um, so I've been asked to do things like that for other schools. So I, I've traveled to Academy Duello and sat board examinations for their, their instructor core. And uh, I got a call from Greg at Chicago Swordplay Guild. And he said, look, this is what we want to do. Uh, you're an examining master. Will you help us with this rank advancement? And I said, sure, I, I'd be glad to do it. So this is how that happens. Uh, As a, we're a Meyer club and of everything that I witnessed this weekend, Destreza uh, seemed the most similar to what we have been training at our club. Is there any correlation between Germany of the late six, uh, 16th century and then Spain of the late 18th century? Well, historically, we've got the Habsburgs, right? So um, there's got to be some kind of link between those two. But within the two traditions, some of the first extant places that we see sword theory is in Germany. So strong and weak, I think we first see those in German texts. And then uh, before, during, and after, that's part of our core theory. And we really developed that into timing considerations. And the way that we use before, during, and after is very close, if not identical, to the way that the Germans use it. So um, our ideal place in the fight is either before or during. And we'd like to be forcing the adversary to move uh, so that we can capitalize on movement. I think that's pretty simple. Well, I don't, I don't want to give the new HEMA practitioner too much. I don't want to overload their brain. But before we go, is there anything you want to plug or anything you personally want to talk about or let people know about? Sure, yeah. So Distressa is a big, big tradition. And right now we have this embarrassment of riches every year, multiple books 
on historical European martial arts being published, people uh, dedicating uh, time and energy and expertise to sharing this. And this is what we really need for the Discussa tradition because it, um, we're trying to foster a community of people. And as good as the work that I, you know, as good as I, I try to make that work, there are always going to be things that I miss. And so if I can build a community of leadership and martial artists who work well together, then I can, uh, once again, I'll be wrong, but I'll have people that will help me bounce off in a positive direction. So the more people we get practicing, uh, the, the better we're all going to be and the better historical European martial arts will be as a whole. Somewhat building off of that, this is somewhat implied, but then to that point, mastery is a responsibility more so than it is a you know, a summation or like a, an end goal title. It, it's really more of the start of the work to a certain degree. It really, really is. At the point where where you where you assume responsibility that for, for the tradition, you also need to understand the risk uh, that it carries with it. The San Jose Fencing Masters Program, it turned out that it was a strange little capsule of Italian fencing, old school, that even Italy had lost. And the only place in the world that was being practiced was in Maestro Gogler's little school down in California. And when the Italians came to visit, um, when he was giving examinations, they were sort of floored, like, you're teaching all this really old technique that we don't have any access to. Um, and then Maestro Gogler's program is shut down. The last two people to take their fencing master's exam were Eric and I. And we were part of this rising HEMA movement. And that's how close we got to losing that historical tradition. And Maestro Gogler has passed. Now, so he died, sadly, about 10 years ago. But we're always sort of on a knife's edge. These things that we have built, all this knowledge that we have gained, it can be wiped out in a generation. So it's um, fostering that new uh, generation of leadership and taking care of these traditions. Uh, I have no interest at all in asserting authority on another person. What I'm most interested in is that responsibility uh, I have to ensure that the tradition survives. Anytime we can put a new a new fencing master into the world, I carry that much less burden on my own shoulders, and I I can farm out that work a little bit. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. So, for anybody new looking to join the Destreza community, where would you point them? I would probably point them to there's a Facebook group for English speakers called Destreza in the SDA, and that is the place where most English speakers talk uh, about Destreza. It's not solely SDA people, and a lot of the the really good um, historical martial artists from Spain hang out there, and they, a lot of them speak English, so we have some really good conversations there. Other places you could go, um, you know, we're starting to get Destreza groups sort of regionally around the country. They're not all in, like, if you're in a big city, chances are you haven't got one. Um, if there's anything that I can do to help bootstrap a local group for Destreza, I will definitely try to do it. Uh, you can also go to my website. Uh, we, we have sacramentoswordschool.com. And then I have a blog called A Midsummer Night's Blog, because my name is Puck. <laughs> and it talks about Destreza, and I try to explain these things. Uh, and then uh, my fencing master's thesis is on the tradition, and it's published by Freelance Academy Press, and it's called From the Page to the Practice. So if you want a, an intro to the tradition, that's a good book to look at. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much. It's a pleasure speaking. Balls, balls, balls.
This episode of Swords and Stereo was produced by Final Plank Media Productions. Theme song for Swords and Stereo is Thunderer by Professor Agma. Check him out too. To find out more about Bold City Longsword, visit their website at jacksonvillehema.com. To find more Final Plank Media produced podcasts, visit finalplank.com or visit us at Final Plank on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Thank you.